couple things I want to share with you. If you've been on the city this week, you've read about a tragedy. I, I would say a tragedy that happened within the Gritzmakers family. And uh, our heart just goes out to Roger and Sue and the rest of the family. Uh, their grandson and uh, her, his wife lost a child that she had been carrying for eight and a half months. And so our hearts go out to Roger and Sue, and we've been really praying for them, as you have seen on the city. I was speaking with Sue, and one of the things that, that, that uh, they're going to do at the memorial service tomorrow night is to release some of those lanterns in the air. And their request is that if you would see these lanterns uh, being lifted up throughout Blissfield, if you would take some pictures um, and submit them to some... We'll have more information on that, yeah. But, uh, okay, yeah. So uh, just call the church. We'll let you know some more details on that. Or, or so you can post some stuff on the city if you would to let us know. So please continue to remember that family in prayer as they walk through a pr- pretty particularly dark uh, valley. Uh, on the upside of it, though, a grandson was up in the process too, so, or throughout that time as well. So, God, there is some things to say. So uh, please just continue to remember them in, the, in your prayers. Also, just real quick as we get started here, um, you know that Pastor Ron was the campus pastor here, and he's moved on. He's doing a great job uh, as as a school principal, a Christian school principal in Missouri. And so um, some of you have asked, well, what are we doing? What are we going to do next? You know what? This is what we're doing. I'm hanging out here for a while here at this campus. I'm going to be speaking here. Uh, I'm staying here on Sundays, and then I am definitely available to you guys, have always been available to you guys. Uh, so... Uh, but anyhow, I'm going to, the Spirit is leading me to say, you know what, we need to just kind of rally to get back around together. And so um, that's what I'm, we're going to be doing here for the next, I don't know how long. Uh, those of you that need to know uh, what, when that's going to end, uh, I need you to pray and seek the Holy Spirit, because right now He's telling me just to stay, okay? So, uh, and when He says move, well, then we'll move. And I trust completely and implicitly in the Holy Spirit, because He knows what is best for us. And so I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited about this series that we're in, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And again, I can't say it enough, please be involved in a discussion group as this will help take these truths and ingrain them more into our thinking and help us, helping us to live them out and some even challenging us uh, to live them out within these groups. In the Bible, uh, there are two particular individuals that it seems to uh, say uh, this is... This is two men, I should say, that you're either in one or you're, you're in one or the other. And it's often stated like this. Paul states it, the first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, two very important individuals. The first Adam was Adam of Adam and Eve. Uh, uh, and he was the first uh, man created in mankind, Adam and Eve. And they're the one that started this whole thing in more ways than one. And so, um, And so in the Bible we read about that. Paul talks about being in the first Adam and what the first Adam did and then being in the second Adam. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.45, he talks, he talks about this. Now, in our, in our mindset today, uh, where we're going today is in our Western mindset, we often we talk about, ask that question, who am I? And hopefully you're engaging with that. I hope that you're not just brushing that off, but you're truly engaging with that, saying, who am I? A lot of times we describe things about us that, that help explain us. Well, I'm a farmer. I'm a mechanic. I'm a school teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm, I work in the factory. I am in sales. 
I'm a football player. I'm a college student. I'm in junior high. I'm in elementary school. Whatever it is. We often describe ourselves as that. Who am I? Well, I'm this. Well, that explains a little bit about who we are, in a sense. It kind of explains about us, but it doesn't define us. And that's the, that's the key. A lot of times in our mindset, we believe that, that we kind of act, we kind of talk, and, and deep down, that's kind of how we view ourselves. We say, well, that's who I am. And that's what we're hoping to challenge through this whole series, because that is not who you are. That does not define you. You are not, you know, am I old, am I young, am I black, am I white, am I rich, am I poor, am I a Republican, am I a Democrat, am I, am, I, am I smart, am I not smart, am I beautiful, am I not, be- I mean, you name it. We go through these things. That's the society we live in, and we're influenced by that. And a lot of us are thinking, it, it's become a paradigm with us, and we think in that way when it's really not true. The Bible talks about it in simply two different ways. Are you an Adam, or are you in the second Adam? Essentially, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? That's how God looks at it. Now, when we're in Adam, all of us come in. Now, guys, please do not check out on me right now. I understand that we talk about this stuff and it's like, I don't know where this is going, so I'm going to kind of glaze over here a few minutes and think about what I'm going to do after the service. You're missing the point if you do. Because all of us come in as the first Adam. We're born into this world with a sin nature. We can thank the first Adam for that. God created Adam and Eve. He created this. He created the Garden of Eden. He placed them in the paradise. He said, don't do but one thing. What is it that Adam and Eve did? That one thing. God wanted him to have this relationship with uh, someone, and so he creates this, this Adam and Eve. Uh, for just that, because he's a relational God. And he wanted to just pour out his love onto these individuals. And so he gives them everything, and he says, don't do this one thing which they do. They were deceived clear from the gate. Everybody born after this, everybody born after Adam, which we all are, correct? We enter into the world. This is a truth that you have to, I want you to grab a hold of. We enter into the world as fallen, depraved people. What that means us, in our natural state, without being reborn again, in our natural state, we cannot please God. We're at odds with God. God sees us as this. We're enemies of God. If we die in that state, we are eternally separated from God. Okay? That's how we're depraved. Out of God's love, God's... I'm not going to end it that way, but I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to provide life again and to reconcile people to me so that I can have a relationship with them. This is very critical. So in the second Adam, we have life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 22, look what Paul says. He says, For since death came through a man, Adam, the first Adam, the resurrection of the dead come also through a man, meaning Jesus Christ. For as in Adam, all die. All die. There's no life. There's no hope. There's nothing. If you never surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you're never born again, what we would say, born again, if you've never received the new spiritual birth to where you're living, you're on a trajectory of dying. And you're going to, you're going to die separated from God for eternity. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, the second Adam, all will be made alive. So the question becomes... Which, who's your identity in? Is it in Adam 
or is it in Jesus Christ? And that's what I want to talk to you about today because that's how God sees things. He, in Ephesians, Paul talks about this and throughout the New Testament, we talk about the head. The head. And it's kind of like looking at, like, like if we could look at it, there's two captains, there's two leaders, there's two heads right now. Either it's Adam or it's Jesus Christ. Now we believe, many of us believe, has placed our faith and trust into Jesus Christ, and so now He is the head of us. The Testament, Colossians, Paul talks about Christ being the head. We are part of a body. Christ is the head. It's this in-head concept. Paul also goes on to talk about being in Christ. In Christ. If you think about it, when Christ died and He rose from the dead, language changed. Does that make sense? Language changed. Now we have this whole new concept that says we can be in Christ. Before that, we really couldn't be, right? But because of His death and resurrection, the crucifixion, now there's this concept that we can be in Christ. Not in Adam, but now we can be reborn. We can have what Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, the reason why you don't understand is because you need to be born again. You need to have spiritual birth. You need to have life. You're no longer dead. You have life. And so those of us that have accepted the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ, we are made new. We have life. We're no longer, we're not dead. We're not going to spend eternity separated from God. We have life. We are now in Christ. 216 times Paul says in his 13 letters to the churches, in Christ. He uses this phrase, in Christ, in Christ, 216 times. That's how he describes a follower of Jesus. Not a Christian. Guess how many times Christians is used in the New Testament? Three times. Now, I'm not the smartest person on the block, okay? I'll say that. But in my mind, if someone says something... 216 times versus 3? What does this 216 times mean? He's got my ears now. 216 times in Christ. When we're talking about our identity, that's what it is. It's not our IQ. It's not our, it's not our, our accomplishments, our achievements. It's not these things that may explain us a little bit. But it's the very core of what identifies us, that we are in Christ. My identity is in Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? If you're still in Adam, it's, you, the, the, the end of that ro road is not pleasant. If you're in Christ, everything has changed. Everything is being made new. Now, what does that mean in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ. That's what we want to really look at because here's the kicker, guys. If you want to know something about God, ten times I'm going to say nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, if you want to know if anybody wants to know something about God, they usually go to the Bible, right? I know what some of you are thinking. They said it in the first service, the internet. And I I know that they, a lot of people do use the internet. Wikipedia has become, you know, very uh um whatever. So anyhow. Typically, someone would go to the Bible to find out something about God. Let me ask you a question. If we're created in the image of God, and we are in Christ, why is it then that we revert to the social sciences to determine who we are? We go to psychology. Who am I? We go to psychology. We go to anthropology. We go to some of the other social sciences to find out who we are. But if we want to find out about God, we go to the Bible. Doesn't it make sense 
then that we go to the Bible? Because if we are created in the image of God, in His image we were created. In Christ, we read about this in Christ 216 times. Wouldn't it make sense for us to spend time understanding who Jesus is? If that's who I am, if my identity is in Jesus Christ, what, doesn't it make sense that, hey, I need to figure out what this is. I need to spend some time thinking about this and understanding who Jesus is. Listen to what Jesus said when it came about this whole concept of in Christ. I want you to turn with me to John chapter uh, 15. So turn, grab your Bibles. You need them. We're going to go through Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians. If you didn't bring your Bible, you need to start bringing it. Grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you. But I want you to follow along with me as we take a look at Ephi, or, uh, John right now, chapter 15. And listen to what Jesus said about this whole concept of being in Christ. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am, by the way guys, I'm telling you, if you want to understand who you are, the, you need to start bringing your Bibles, okay? This is where we have to connect with the Word of God. I am the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so fruit, so that fruit will be even more fruitful. You are already, or so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, verse 4. Everybody together, read the first two words right now. One, two, three. Remain in me, in Christ. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Now we get clarification of what he's talking about, right? I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, this is what Jesus is saying here to us. He's teaching us that we are in Him. We are in Him. We are a branch of the trunk. So anytime you go out and start looking at plants today, think about that. I am a branch. He's the trunk. I'm the branch. He's the vine. If I'm disconnected from the trunk, if I'm disconnected from the, from the vine, I'm going to wither up and I'm going to die. If I'm not connected to the trunk, if I'm not connected to the vine, I'm not going to be able to bear fruit. I don't know about you, but this really goes with the world we live in, right? You cut a branch off something, you cut something off, it, it typically dies. It withers up and dies. This is critically important where Jesus is saying, you are in me. You are not the trunk. You are not the idol. You're not someone that's going to be able to bear fruit in someone else's lives. But I'm the one that does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remain in me. Because without me, you can do nothing. You see, we get wrapped up in all of our accomplishments and our achievements. And we get wrapped up and we say, who am I? Well, this is who I am. I can do this, 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 and this. I'm good at this, 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 and this. But at the end of the day, typically all of those things are temporary. All of those things are going to go up in a cloud of smoke when it comes down to the eternal things. Jesus is saying is what really matters is that you remain in me. I am the, vine, I am the trunk. I am the vine. You receive all your nourishment from me. 
you are me. I will remain in you. You will remain in me. And everything is going to be great. The problem is, often we think we're the trunk and we don't need him. Or we think that we can go off and do this on our own or that we're the trunk. And we get it all backwards. And it wreaks havoc within our lives. Because that's not the way we were created. We were created in the image of God and we were created to be in Christ. So, it is critically important that we understand that because that is our identity. And here's, here's um, again, we get so wrapped up in all this other stuff that, we, that, that, are, that are things that explain us, but, that, but it's not who we truly are in Christ. Now, how does this affect, affect us? Real quickly, I'm going to go over three things personally. Personally, when we believe our identity, when we believe there's another vine there, and we connect ourselves with something else, what we call an identity idol, when we get wrapped up in that, we put, like we said last week, we put the weight of God on that. It could be someone that you love. It could be your spouse. It could be your child. And whenever you put someone or something in the, in the path of God where you're saying, I'm putting all of my eggs in this basket here because this is where I'm going to get all of my self-worth. This is where I'm going to get my value. This is where I'm going to get my identity, all that stuff. It inev- inevitably is going to come crashing down because that's not the way it is and it never will be. And so personally, some of us are struggling in here this morning because we have things in our lives that we're placing in the place of God. And, and we're miserable because it's not reaping the fruit we think it should reap. It never will. Jesus says, place yourself in me. Stay connected to the vine. Parentally. Parents. I read this this week and I'm like, this is absolutely spot on. How often do we do this? We look at our kids, and, and, and there's a balance here, okay? We look at our kids, and we find their strengths, and we exploit their strengths. We build them up. Man, you're good at this. You're, you're beautiful. Your IQ is this. You're really good at football. You're really good at basketball. You're good at playing a sport. You know, you're really good at music. And we take that, and we exploit it. Inadvertently, what happens is that children become adults believing that their identity is in what? How good they are at playing football. How good they are at their grades. How good they are at all these other things that's not in Christ per se. They're not bad. God gave us talents. God gave us gifts. God gave us the ability of of, of when we tap into that, we we come alive. And we're good at those things. But the problem is, if we don't sit down with our children and say, your identity is in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're good at football. It doesn't matter if you're good at basketball. It doesn't matter what GPA you have. It doesn't, all these things don't matter. You are created in the image of God. You are a child of God. Jesus Christ died for you. You are in the vine. You are in, do you see the difference? And that is such a subtle difference where the enemy comes in and he takes us off just a little bit like we've been talking. And the next thing you know, We have people that are so wrapped up into things that are absolutely temporary. They're not eternal whatsoever. I'm not saying those things are bad, nor am I saying the social sciences are bad. I'm not saying that they all have their place. The problem is, is when we make those things the trunk or the vine. And that's where it all comes crashing down. Pastorally, I see it within our church. I mean, we, I, I struggle with it at times. All of us struggle with this stuff at times. I see it. I see people that are 
They've made something else their idol. And the, the really sad and scary thing is, some of us don't even see that. Some of us are sitting in here this morning and we're completely oblivious. We're completely so unaware of this. We've been deceived. We've been duped. And we're off over here and, and, and we're so immature spiritually and we're so immature emotionally because we're not remaining in the vine. We, we, we've got it off. And the only way, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, the only way you're ever going to see clearly is by staying connected to the vine in the trunk. Because when we do, we begin to understand those words. When Jesus says, when you understand the truth, when you know the truth, it's going to do what? It's going to set you free. Some of us walk around with burrowed brows all, brows all the time because we're not free. And we try to control everything around us, all the externals. And we say, well, everything will be fine if I can just look across my landscape and make everything right. The problem is it's you. You don't understand your identity in Jesus Christ. You're not connected. You're not living in that vine. You're not saying, God, my life is yours. Whatever it is you want to do in my life, I'm willing to do that. If you want to use these talents and gifts, tell me how to do that. And we submit ourselves to the power of His Holy Spirit. So, as we go through Ephesians, what does it mean? Well, again, it's this whole concept of understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul lays out in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you would turn there with me, he lays out in the first chapter, he starts right from the beginning. And he's trying to help the people of the church of Ephesus to understand that their identity is in Jesus Christ and how Jesus makes us or you know, uh, enables us to become the people that he's created us to be, to live out of our God-created identity. The first thing he says in Ephesians 1, chapter 1, or verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In Christ you can be faithful to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. How many of us are sitting in here this morning and we struggle from time to time of being faithful? We want to be faithful to Jesus. We want to spend time in His Word. We want to spend time in prayer. We have this aspirational goal that that's what we're supposed to do, but in essence, that's not what we're really doing. And truth be known, if we would just go off by ourselves for a few minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to communicate with us, we, we realize we're not, we're not obeying. And Jesus said that if you obey me, or if you love me, you're going to obey me. By the way, guys, I, I forgot to say this, but I want to share this with you. Throughout the New Testament, I would please go back and read the Gospels. Jesus makes some startling statements. Not me, Jesus. And he just said it there in our last uh, in that verse in John 15:5. He he makes these statements where he says, Apart, "I only can do what I see the Father doing." Jesus, God, Jesus Himself saying, "I can't do anything unless God does it through the Father does it through me." How is it that if Jesus, who is God, and he's rolling out some statements and saying, if I'm not connected to the Father, if I'm not living in perfect harmony with the Father and allowing His Spirit to work through me and my humanity, you know, remember when He was baptized and it said the Spirit came down and rested on Him like a dove, and then His ministry, that's when His ministry took off? It's like this, he, he, again, that's when we talk about Jesus' life, that's what He modeled for us. He was showing us how to live a, a life 
that is pleasing to God and staying connected into the vine and saying, this is how you live. And Jesus was saying, I can't even do this if I'm not connected to the Father. He makes those statements. Read the Gospels. It is so critical that we stay connected. We, and there's times where we get off and we're not faithful. But the beauty of it is that God said, you know what? I am going to bless you. If you are in Christ... If you are in Christ, if you receive my free gift of grace and salvation, because now you're in Christ, you are now faithful. Because when I look at you, I'm going to look at my son. Jesus literally switched places with us. We literally took the position of Jesus, and Jesus took the position of me and you, where we were enemies with God, where we didn't deserve anything, where we're completely unfaithful and all these other things. And Jesus said, I will stand in their spot, and I will go to the cross, and I will take what's due them. He literally did that to where now you and I are in Christ. And because Jesus did that, we are now faithful through Christ. We now have this ability through the power of His Holy Spirit to live out this faithful, this faithfulness. So when we struggle with faithfulness, we can, we can, we can, um, we can you know, go back to that surrendering aspect to say, God, here's my life once again. And Christ it lives that faithful life within us as we surrender to Him. The second thing is this, in Christ you are blessed. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 6, He has blessed us in the Beloved. I believe in the New, is it the, uh, I'm reading from different translations, the NIV, does it say He lavishly has blessed us? He continues to pour out these blessings upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ. As we become in Christ, God says, you don't deserve any of this, but I, I, you're part of me now. You're part of my kingdom. You're part of this family. And I, He just lavishly blesses us with things. How many of you at time, that's, uh, at different times feels that that is the last thing that you feel blessed? How many of us go to work? How many of us spend time in relationships? How many of us spend time in situations where it feels like it seems as if that everybody in this world is against us, that we're definitely not blessed? Or we go through really rough times, we go through really dark valleys, and it's like, we're not, this is crazy, I'm not blessed. The truth of the matter is that you are. You are in Jesus Christ. You are blessed in Him. You are faithful. You are blessed in Him. The next one is this. In Christ, you were chosen and made blameless. Ephesians 1.4 He, God, chose us. Now, I grew up in more... If you've grown up in this flavor of church, uh, it can tend to be a little more Arminian Wesleyanism, which when you start throwing that word out, chosen, it perks your ears and you're ready to argue. Some of you grew up more in a Calvinistic, a Baptist, or a Reformed, or some other Presbyterian, or whatever, and that part chosen, you're like, absolutely, I understand that. That chosen word, God chose me. Oh, wait a minute, don't I make that choice? God chose, before the, before the foundations of this earth was laid, God, it says that God chose us to love us and to, and to, and to uh, consider us blameless through His Son's sacrifice. Here's something you can talk about over lunch today, okay? How is it that before the foundation of this world was ever laid, that God knew that He would have to send His Son and Jesus was going to have to endure a hideous death to the hands of His creation? How is it that God knew that ahead of time before anything was ever created and yet He continued to create it? How many of us would do that? 
How many of you would say, and we've talked about this before, how many of you would say, if I do this, I know that I'm going to have to sacrifice one of my children to make that right again? It's unheard of. But yet God, out of His love, says, I, I, want, I want to pour out my people. I want to pour out my love on this creation. I want to have a creation where I can share myself, where I can not hold all this to myself, but I can literally bless them with these things. I can invite them in to this, this scope of, of heaven, and I can share with them these things, even though it's going to cost me. David writes in Psalm, I believe it's 139, where he says, God knows He knew me before I was even created in the womb. God chose you. You're sitting in here this morning because God wants you to hear what is being spoken today, what is being sung about today, what is being thrown on the video today, what other people may share with you today. You are sitting in here this morning, not by happen chance. You're living in here. You're taking breath right now, not by happen chance, because, but because God chose you. God created you. That is extremely powerful. You're not here by accident. You're not on the earth by accident. I don't, it doesn't matter if your mom and dad hooked up for a one-night stand. You are not here by accident. You are created in the image of God, and you are loved by God. And we are in Christ. And we are chosen. He's saying, I choose you. Some of us have struggled probably, in our, or struggled in our past, you know, like we're in grade school. Remember that whole time when you start choosing up teens, and you're standing there, and you're like, oh, this is horrible. It just destroys your self-esteem, Right? And it comes down, they're choosing teens, and it comes down between you and your locker, right? And they choose your locker, and you're just standing there like, this is crazy. God chose you. He loves you. It's incredible. The, this, the, if we could just, and, and again, that's what it's all about. For us to understand our identity, we have to understand how much God loves us and to live in that. In Christ, we are chosen and chosen to live a life that is, that is, uh, and as he looks at us, he sees us blameless. In Christ we are forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, in him, in Christ. It's there. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Here's another one for you. When God extended you salvation, that hand of grace where God through his spirit just opened up these truths to you and you realized where you stood before God, and, and God was calling you to have this relationship with Him. Do you realize that God knew your past sins? He knew the sins that you are currently in, and He knows the sins that you're going to commit in the future. But yet He continues to love. He continued to reach out to you to say, "I love you. I want to have a relationship with you." In Christ, that's what we have because He looks at that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that 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 plan of salvation, the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. He looks at us now through that blood to say, "You're forgiven. You're forgiven by the by the blood of my Son. I've provided you a way to be a part of my family. You're forgiven. I'm choosing you. I love you." This doesn't mean that we continue to go out and continue to do the things that we've done. What it means is when you truly understand your identity in Jesus Christ, your heart begins to ache when you live outside of the things that He wants you to do. In Christ, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, come back on stage. We're going to close with one last song, but in Christ you can know the will of God. Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which is set forth in Christ. Guys, I can't say this enough. You do not have to discover who you are. 
You do not have to go on some journey. You don't have to, you don't have to go out and, and spend all kinds of time trying to figure out, searching for who you are. God says, I will reveal that to you. When we talk about the will of God, some of us struggle so much where we say, I just don't know what God wants me to do in my life. Guys, that's where you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit because that is His ministry. It's where you put yourself in a position of humbleness and contriteness and you say, God, I want to know Your will. God, I want to know what it is that You want from me. God, I want to live my life the way You want me to live my life. And I'm surrendering myself to You and you surrender yourself to the spirit, His Spirit, and His Spirit reveals Himself. He reveals the will of the Father to you. It's all about submission and surrendering. In Christ, we are reconciled. Ephesians 1:10 is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's still in the business of reconciling. Reconciling simply means that. When we're born into Adam, that first Adam, God says, I don't want these people to have to stay that way. Because if they stay in the first Adam and they don't have the opportunity, they're going to spend eternity separated from me. So God, out of His love, reaches out in salvation and reconciles, brings people to Him. People that are far away from God. Some of you are sitting in here this morning and you may be far away from God and God is reaching into your heart right now and He's saying, I want a relationship with you. I love you. And so he's reconciling this, this, this world to him. And guys, what happens when we become reconciled? Let me just share with you what I believe the Word of God teaches. When we become individuals that's reconciled, and we now are in his family, and we now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, things begin to happen. In fact, um, he talks about the inheritance uh, in the next one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... He, he, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as the Holy Spirit living inside of us, what should be happening, guys, is this. Just like he said in John 15, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. As the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, as you stay connected to the branch and the trunk, you begin to bear fruit. What, what does fruit mean? Fruit means Christ-like attributes. It means fruit of the Holy Spirit. Read Galatians where Paul talks about it. Faith, love, joy, patience. We're not producing anger. We're not producing division. We're not producing um, all these dissension and confusion and discouragement and despair and all this other stuff. That's that's, That's the fruit of the Spirit, but not the Spirit of God. And so he begins to produce fruit in your life as he's reconciled him, you, you to him. And so individually you begin to produce fruit and then collectively as we come together as the bride of Christ, as we come together as the local expression of his church, of Element Church, people begin to look at your life individually and say, how in the world can this person live this, such a life? How are they able to do such things? Because they're seeing the Holy Spirit within you and they realize that you can't produce it, but they're seeing the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And then when we come together corporately as Element Church, people in the community, people around us look at us as, as the church and they're saying, how in the world is that church able to do these things? And we look at them and say, we have no clue. Except for the fact that God's Spirit is working in our church and He's producing. We're giving Him free reign in producing what it is that He wants to produce within us. In Christ, you have an inheritance. 
in Him we've obtained this inheritance, meaning that we're going to have eternity, or spend eternity with Him. We're going to have eternal life. All this temporary stuff's going to go away one day. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up His throne. It says that every knee, every tongue will come, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hopefully we do that before He returns. But He's going to take His children us, His children back with Him and we're going to spend eternity in His kingdom. We're not going to deal with this sorrow stuff anymore. This grief, this loss of loved ones, this stuff where we look at in life and we say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's never going to be that way anymore. In Christ, we have hope. Verse 12, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Guys, our hope is not your hope is not in your IQ. It's not in your beauty. It's not in the government. It's not in politics. It's not in your job. It's not in your performance. It's not in any of those things. When we place our hope in these things, I'm not diminishing those things. Those things have their place, but let me just share with you, those things are temporary. All of those things are going to go away, and the only thing that's going to stand at the end of this time is our real hope, and that is through Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith and trust and hope in Christ, because that's who we are, that's when we experience joy. That's when we experience life to the fullest. Our hope is not in the economy. It's not in all these other things that we place our hope in. Our hope rests and always will rest in the blood and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. That's how we were created. Last, in Christ, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, in Him, in Christ you also. In Him you have heard the truth. You've heard the gospel of our salvation and believed in Him. And because of that, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I cannot preach enough about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can focus on the cross, which... Let me be very careful how I say this. Focusing just on the cross is only one-third of it. Focusing just on the resurrection is only one-third of it as well. Focusing on Pentecost is one-third of it. We put it all together. If we didn't have Pentecost, I mean, if we didn't have the cross, we wouldn't have Pentecost. But if we didn't have Pentecost, we don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Does that make sense? It's all together. We have the cross, the resurrection, and then the Spirit of God that comes into each and every one of us as we place our faith and trust in Him that gives us the power to live this life the way He wants us to live. He's the one that reveals this God to us. You're not going to know who God is unless you're submitting to the Holy Spirit because that is His ministry. He reveals God to you. You don't have the capabilities of understanding who God is. Only His Spirit can reveal these truths to you. Does that make sense? It is absolutely critical that we live in harmony with the Holy Spirit and we don't grieve Him. We don't shove Him away, but we invite Him into our lives. And we, and we live in submission to Him. Paul says, who knows anybody's, anybody better than that person's spirit? God's Spirit. We're promised His Spirit living inside of us. Holy cow, can you imagine? I tell you what. My prayer is that we become a church where the Holy Spirit has captivated each and every one of us because of our love for Jesus Christ. And we get this whole concept that all of it's together. The Trinity. 
but we take the Holy Spirit and we allow Him to do incredible things in and through us because we finally understand who we are in Jesus Christ. You talk about reaching the world. You talk about being able to restore the broken. You talk about helping people to understand the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And so, through all of this, Paul says in this book of Ephesians, which we're going to talk about over and over for a, a long time, what he's saying is we are in Christ. That's who you are as a follower. That's who you are. You are in Christ. That's your identity. I hope this week you go home and you gripe because I said in Christ so many times. Because it will at least keep you thinking about it. In Christ. And because of all these things, God has just enormously blessed us. I'm going to close with prayer. And as always, I pray that you would just allow His Spirit to have freedom to do and say whatever He wants to do in your life. And I pray that you would respond. If, if, if you want to come and pray, the elders will come. We would love to pray with you. If you want to stick around a few minutes afterwards, we'd love to talk to you. But I'm telling you guys, this is, man, if we could just get this, our identity in Jesus Christ, we're going to see some amazing things happen. So if you would, please stand with me as I close with a word of prayer and, and we close with this next song. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray right now that your spirit would have free reign in this place. God, I pray that people would respond to you. I pray that people have been, for those that have been struggling, that are not happy, that that have placed their faith and hope into something that's that's not going to provide. God, I pray that, 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 that they will allow you to captivate their mind right now and their heart. God, for those in here that have, that's happened a while back, but we need a kind of a refresher. God, let, I pray that you would just allow them to open up to you. God, for those in here that's celebrating because they, they get this and they, they guard it with everything they've got. God, would you continue to help them to celebrate and invite them into a time of prayer where we're lifting everyone up in this place. All of your children here. God, help us to truly understand what it means to be in Christ. And as we close with this song, God, please just let your spirit press in heavily upon us. May we be overwhelmed with your presence. And we ask all this in Jesus Christ. Amen.